Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is the new Rust Station podcast, a 15 to 20 minute show about learning the Rust programming language. This is episode 18, Borrow Azref Deref. My head hurts now. Back in episode 17, which was a very long time ago for those following along with the show in real time, we talked about references in Rust, and we looked at the referencing and dereferencing operations. And we've also talked about a variety of data structures and heap-allocated objects along the way, types like the box and vec and string types. In this episode, we're going to put a bunch of those pieces together. We're going to talk about the borrow, asref, and deref traits. If you listened to my interview with Rafe Levine, you'll recall that we mentioned the first two of those traits. As an aside, neither of us could remember initially which was which, and we had to go look it up, and I had to edit that part out of the show. But all three of these traits are incredibly important for designing easy-to-use APIs, especially when you're working with those heap-allocated pointer types. Borrowing and taking things by reference seem like pretty fundamental building blocks in Rust, right? Indeed, they are. The ampersand borrow slash reference operator isn't overloadable, though as we'll discuss in a few minutes, the star dereference operator is. But the ideas of borrowing and taking things by reference are things we can customize a bit, and that's important. Why? If you're like me, you probably have at least two questions of the why variety here. First, why would I need to customize borrowing and taking things by reference? And two, why are there three different traits around borrowing and taking things by reference? That latter question is a big part of why Rafe and I had to stop in the middle of that interview and go look up the difference between borrow and asref. And for that matter, it's the reason there's a note about that very question in the standard library docs, and even a dedicated section in the Rust book about it. But we'll come back to that in a minute. And that's not even mentioning deref. In order to get to those questions, though, we need to start by having a handle on what each one of these types actually does. Let's talk about borrow. Say you have a basic struct type and that it's allocated on the stack as usual. You get your normal borrowing and move semantics when you're dealing with the type, as we've discussed before. So if you borrow a reference to it with the ampersand operator, you'll have a pointer to the type, and depending on whether the original instance was mutable and whether you passed a mutable reference, you may be able to change the object where you borrowed that reference. All well and good. But, and here, let's think about this with the string and stir types in mind. What if you wanted to build something like a hash map? Remember, a string is a vec of U8 data, which has been validated to be valid UTF-8 Unicode. And stir is a slice of U8 data, validated to be valid UTF-8 Unicode. Presumably, you would want those two things to hash to the same thing. They're both just UTF-8 strings. And so far as possible, you wouldn't want the consumers of your HashMaps API to have to think about what they were handing into you. A string and a stir should be equivalent from that point of view. The borrow trait lets us abstract over exactly this kind of difference. We can impl borrow, we can implement the borrow trait for a type by implementing a borrow method on that type. Then, anywhere we need something which can be borrowed as a UTF-8 slice, we can explicitly call the borrow method, and any type which implements it can be used. This is just mashing together this specific trait, borrow, with generics, which we talked about a number of episodes back, but it becomes really helpful when you're implementing something like a hash map. 
Indeed, the hash map in Rust's standard library does exactly this. It's search, get, contains key, and remove methods, and the mutable variants where applicable all explicitly require one of their arguments to have as a type the main key that the hash map can be borrowed as. So to clarify, if the hash map has a string key and you pass it a stir argument, that's fine. It can call borrow on the string instance and get a stir, and it can compare those. We could do the same thing with our own custom types too. Say you had a function in which you knew you were going to need to borrow some data as a slice of unsigned 8-bit integers. You would write the function as something like fn takes a borrowable generic over b, which is implementing borrow for the u8 slice type with an argument of slice whose type is that generic b, and then the body. And in the body of the function, wherever you actually needed to get at those borrowed contents, you would just type slice.borrow, call the method, and do what you needed with that data. Then you could pass in an actual slice of u8 data, or you could pass in a vec of u8, or a box, or an rc, or an arc, or your own custom type, anything you wanted. So let's say that you had a custom type, say a chunk of data which it made sense to represent as some slice of u8 values, and maybe some associated metadata that you were going to carry along with it for the most part. I have no idea what that would be that isn't a Unicode string, but roll with me. When you were comparing this to other u8 data, it's possible that the metadata might be irrelevant and that the u8 slice would be all that mattered. In that case, you would just implement borrow for the struct and the borrow method would return a reference to the slice contents. So that's how borrow works. And the example I gave a minute ago is the main time you'd want to use it. Hash maps and things like that. Types where there is some kind of underlying equivalence or ordering you need to be able to represent. Those are prime places to use borrow. And note that the equivalence and ordering relationships are such that you don't care whether you own the data or not. You're just comparing it. So you're always fine just borrowing it. Next, let's discuss the other trait mentioned in my interview with Rafe Levine, ASREF. To make this a little more explicit, we're talking about the standard conversions ASREF trait. And the module namespace tells us something about the semantics of this trait. It's a way of converting one kind of reference to another kind of reference. Remember that. It's important, and we'll come back to it in just a minute. First, though, let's talk through the signature. Just as borrow only has the borrow method, asref just has the asref method. And it turns out the signatures of these two are nearly identical. Both of them are just generic over a type with a compile time known size, and the signatures of both functions are actually the same. They borrow self, and they return a reference to the type over which they're generic. Above, we talked about using borrow for using related keys for HashMap. What about asref? We'll use this for things like converting between operating system string types, or from a stir to a u8 slice. You can think of it this way. Every pointer to a stir can be a pointer to a u8 slice, because after all, stir instances are just composed of u8 data. They just have more guarantees than a plain u8 slice does. Those guarantees mean you can't implement asref from u8 to stir, but you can readily implement asref from string to u8 just as much as from stir to u8. Note that in each of these cases, we do care that we are getting a reference to something. 
the whole point here is to have something we know is a reference, and then to do something with that reference, presumably. Unlike borrow, where the point is that we want to treat both owned and borrowed data identically. As we noted from the outset, borrow and asref are very similar. The difference in their signatures is the name of the trait method, and that's it. This close relationship shouldn't be a surprise if you've followed along with the show, or if you're familiar with Rust's core ideas more generally. Borrowing is Rust's way of reasoning about ownership when we make references to a given piece of data. Borrowing references. So what does separate ASREF from borrow? Basically, it comes down to what you're actually using the conversion for. If it's for doing some kind of comparison for two types, you'll generally want borrow. If it's for converting one type to another, use ASREF. You can see where the name for ASREF comes from easily enough. You can think of it as being a trait for converting a reference to one type as a reference, ASREF, to another type. Borrow is a little hazier. Yes, we're borrowing a reference from one type to another, but, well, that's kind of what ASREF is too. I'll admit, freely, borrow isn't a particularly descriptive name in terms of distinguishing it from ASREF. But, in the Rust standard library's defense, it's hard to come up with a better name here. ASREF, but with interchangeable equivalence or ordering too, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. So, borrow it is. Just remember, use ASREF for cheap conversions between types which are identical under the covers. Use borrow for getting at relationships of equality or ordering. Use ASREF when you just need a reference. Use borrow when you don't care what the ownership state is. Note that in neither of these cases are we changing the behavior of the dereferencing star operator. You can see this if you implement either borrow or asref for a simple struct which wraps an integer and try to dereference that struct, pass it into a function which takes a reference to an integer. It won't work. The compiler will complain that you passed a reference to the wrapper or that you dereferenced a wrapper type, not a reference to an integer. If you're already fairly familiar with Rust, you probably know where I'm going, though. That, or you're wondering how something like passing a reference to a string can work in functions which take a reference to a stir as their argument. For this, we need the deref trait. This is one of the only places in Rust where an implicit conversion between types can happen. And I say implicit because it's implicit from the point of view of the caller. But it's still explicit in the sense that you have to define exactly how a dereference operation is going to behave. So it's still explicit somewhere. But we have a good reason to make this kind of implicit for the caller dereferencing available. The string and stir example is one such place in the language. If we had to write some string dot as stir every single time we needed to get a string reference from a string, it would get old in a hurry. It would be obnoxiously verbose. The same is true for vec and slice types. We therefore have an out, standard ops deref, combined with the language feature called deref coercion. As its module name indicates, deref is an operator overload, unlike borrow and asref. So when you use the star operator, it uses the deref trait to define how to dereference the data in question. 
In many cases, that'll be incredibly simple. In others, say smart pointer types or other wrappers, there may be a layer of indirection to remove. For example, you might have a wrapper type, which you're just using to provide, again, extra metadata around some underlying value, but where you want to be able to get at the contents without having to do something like star mystruct.its internal contents every time. It would be nice to just write star mystruct instead. But the real power here comes when we combine this trait with the deref coercion rule. This rule says that anywhere you have a dereference defined from some type t to some other type u, any function which takes a reference to t can automatically be coerced to act like a reference to u. So going back to our example from above, a type which just wrapped around an array slice, if we implemented deref for that slice type, any place which takes a reference to that kind of slice can also take a reference to our wrapper type. And this isn't dangerous, though it can be surprising the first time you see it. It's not dangerous because we've defined exactly what the coercion relationship is, and all in safe Rust code. If you define a way to dereference your type as another type, the compiler can then safely use that way, the way you defined, where it needs to. As such, this is very different from pointer type coercions in C. There's no unpredictability whatsoever about what you'll end up with, and you can't do arbitrary coercions just as you go along. And of course, this is what makes it ergonomic to use string and stir side by side. String implements deref for stir, so anything which expects a reference to a stir slice can also take a reference to a string. That works because we have the deref trait and this rule. One thing I've glossed over so far in this discussion is that each of these traits has a mute version. Borrow mute, asref mute, and deref mute. These do exactly what you'd expect. They let you implement the mutable equivalents to the traits discussed above. Separating these from their immutable variants might seem like just a way of making extra work, but as usual there's a good reason for this. It's actually extra control. It means you can let consumers have mutable access to your data, but you don't have to. And this is particularly helpful where you're defining something with an immutable external API around mutable internal contents. I haven't looked around for an example of this pattern, but I imagine this would be a sensible and fairly rustic way to implement so-called persistent data structures in Rust. And if you're not familiar with those, I'll have links to a description of them in the show notes. Now, for an interesting example of a case where someone is using borrow and asref in practice, I'll also link a blog post by Arnon Rocher from mid-2016, in which he describes building a command line tool for the Sentry crash reporting framework. And in that blog post, he describes using a ref cell to deal with a C API that expected a single long-lived pointer for managing a connection. For that ref cell, he needed to implement both borrow and asref for his Rust code to consume it. As an aside, if you're looking for a relatively small but solid and interesting Rust code base to read through and get a better handle on some ideas, the Sentry CLI repository is a great place to start, so I'll link that in the show notes as well. I hope that gives you a pretty solid or at least more solid idea of how you can use and when you should use these three traits around borrowing and referencing things in Rust. These are a little more arcane than some of the pieces that we've talked about before, but they're also incredibly useful, and when you want them, you really want them. Thanks to Chris Palmer, Christopher Gifford, Matt Rutter, Ben Whitley, Peter Tillemans, 
Philip Keller, Stephen Morosky, Rafe Levine, and Vesa Kailavirta for sponsoring the show this month. You can see a full list of sponsors in the show notes. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash newrustation, give a one-off contribution at any of a number of other services listed on the show website, or if you're a company interested in advertising developers, you can email me. You can also find links to each of the traits mentioned on the show, as well as to some of the other material I mentioned at newrustation.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at newrustation or follow me there at Chris Kreitcho. And hey, if you enjoy the show, please do tell somebody about it. You can also help others discover the show by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, recommending it in another podcast directory, or sharing it around on whatever social media you use. I always appreciate that immensely. I'd also love to hear your feedback, along with suggestions for topics or interviewees or anything else, in the threads for the episode on the Rust user forum or on Hacker News, or just by hearing from you via email. That's one of my favorite things. Feel free to send me a note at hello at newruststation.com. Another Rust station in my vicinity recently sent me one of those notes, and we're actually going to see if we can meet up sometime soon. And speaking of meetups, if there isn't a meetup in your area, you should think about starting one. Jump into the Rust community channel on IRC, and they'll help you get going. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, happy coding. Thank you.